Hello, hello, Leah Pika here. Today's guest is a big voice on LinkedIn helping data practitioners unlock their potential through business literacy. Stay tuned to find out who's taking us to school on the Present Beyond Measure Show, episode 81. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure Show, a podcast at the intersection of analytics, data visualization, and presentation awesomeness. You'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating analytics visualizations and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions and move you forward. If you're ready to get your insights understood and acted upon, you're in the right place. And now your host, Leah Pika. Hey, hello, and welcome to the 81st episode of the Present Beyond Measure Show, the only podcast at the intersection of presentation data visualization, storytelling, and analytics. This is the place to be if you're ready to make maximum impact and create credibility through your thoughtfully presented insights and ideas. Now, today's interview is loaded with insights on an often underdeveloped area of skills for data practitioners and organizations that actually hold the key to their career success. So, be sure to stay tuned in. But before we get rolling, I have just a few fun updates for you. First, a shout out to Presentations Can Be Beautiful, great name, for leaving a very kind review for the show. They say, Leah tackles content that is essential for anyone in business. Presenting complex data in an impactful and digestible way is the difference between persuading your audience into desired action or not. A lot rides on the success of your presentations, and Leah provides actionable insights, strategies, and tips on how to deliver a memorable and compelling presentation. Give it a shot. You won't be sorry. Thank you so much for that support. And please be sure to leave your own review on the show in Apple Podcasts if you find this to be a useful resource, and I may read yours next. All right. As usual, I am so excited for today's guest, but in particular, this person has a singular ability to generate the most enlivening and thought-provoking discussions on all things data on LinkedIn, my favorite place to hang out. So this is a water cooler you'll definitely want to hang around. Let's dive in. All right. Hello and welcome. Today's guest has over 15 years of business analytics, data science, and strategic leadership experience in public and private equity-owned business. And he specializes in creating award-winning analytics strategy, capabilities, teams, cultures, and solutions that drive tangible results. He is the CEO and founder of Strategy Titan, a strategic advisory and information product development company and their Labor Titan product helps individuals and teams make better, faster, more confident labor and compensation decisions. And he is one of my LinkedIn data superheroes, one to follow for sure. So please help me welcome our latest guest, Jason Krantz. Hello. How are you doing? And thank you for having me on. Oh, thank you. It's a beautiful day here in Bucks County, and I'm with a rock star right now. And I'm so thrilled we finally made this happen. I've admired your work on LinkedIn so much as a thought leader and someone who really engages the crowd, engages and really holds a lot of perspectives with care. And I just really appreciate that about you. Well, I appreciate it too. And I do greatly enjoy your content too, as we were talking about beforehand. Just I think one of the magical parts of this community is how different ideas come together to make things work. Yes. As we were saying, each of us brings certain expertise and and I have immense admiration for your expertise. So thank you for sharing yours. Oh, thank you so much. I know, especially when I share like silly pie charts of like this much of the pizza eaten, not this bar was not eaten. (laughs) That was a good one. Yeah, I like that one. (laughs) All right. So Jason, as a superhero, everyone loves the origin story. I'd love to hear how you fell into this wacky and wonderful world of data. Yeah, it was uh, actually about three months into my first job. I was a young kid, didn't really know what I was doing. (laughs) I found out very quickly that I was good with numbers. I've always been good with numbers, but I thought it was just kind of everybody was decent at it. And so I remember one day I found this insight and it was a real insight on that. Like, hey, we're wasting a lot of money in this area. Mm -hmm. And it was a very big number and it caught the attention of the management team. And they were like, 
whoa, wait, this is actually like millions of dollars. How would you find it? So we walk them through it and they're like, yeah, this is legitimate. And so anyway, they had a huge meeting with all of these executives. Now, mind you, leaders of a major, major business, publicly traded company. I'm three months out of school and I'm in there. I'm nervous. And then they say, Jason found something that we think represents a seven-figure savings opportunity. Jason, tell him about it. And I, I was petrified. I'm like, I don't know anything. Why are these people in here talking or listening to me talk? <laughs> so I delivered my message. I was scared. I didn't know what I was doing, but they were all listening. And, and that was the moment. That was my first experience in realizing the power mm. of data. Yeah, The fact that I could get all these very smart people to listen to somebody that was still figuring out where the bathroom was at. <laughs> and they, they're listening and, and actually I got their attention. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was, that was it. I realized, wow, this data stuff can put me in a position to get in front of people that it would take me 15, 20 years in the regular career path. So I realized very quickly, this is a shortcut to get to where I want to go. And I just, I, I grabbed it, I just clamped onto it and, and ran with it. That's fantastic. And I want to really highlight something you mentioned. I want to make sure it didn't just whoop slip past people. Was that when they identified what you had found, they immediately contextualized and defined what that meant in the vocabulary that would matter to a stakeholders, a seven-figure sum. That's what just hit me right now. And that's what I think I pay attention a lot to how we express the stakes. Like people don't realize when we're telling a data story, it's not just saying what happened, but you're creating a climax point that is what's at stake if we don't do anything. And people don't think about that. They're like, well, our visitors will go down. Yeah. (laughs) It's mushy. (laughs) But what does that mean to the stakeholders? Well, so to your point, and I I remember this very clearly. I'm just going to use fake numbers, but it illustrates the concept. Sure. I remember our group goal was we needed to find like $30 million in cost savings. Wow. (laughs) So we had to go. This is is a, a massive company. So $30 million was actually fairly achievable. So we got this go get and it's early in the year. And then this is where I'm like, I saw these numbers and because my job was to track these numbers. I needed to track everything. And then as I was tracking, I would go and just dig around. So I found this opportunity and, and I'm like, hey, boss, I, I know we got a 30 million go get and you're going to know better than I do. But I think I found like three or five. Mm-hmm. And he's like, wait, wait, what? So I had his attention like that because right. he's got he's got to go get. That's right. Uh, this is a central theme I think that we're going to cover a lot, talking in the language of the business. That's right. I That's mention, right. <laughs> oh, I use this algorithm or blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, we've got a problem. We got to get from here to here. I think I found something that gets us a sixth of the way or whatever the number is. And right away, he's got attention. Then we go through and we do the due diligence. So we're like, yeah, this is legitimate. And we go to the plants and we start talking to the plants. Is this real? Yeah, this is real. And then what we do is you start to build this momentum. So it's kind of like an insight, but then we validate. And by validation, we get other people to buy into it. Right, right. We get them to see the vision. We get to see maybe them looking at things in a different way. You know what? We never looked at it like that, but what other opportunities are there? Mm -hmm. And this is where I realized very early in this juncture of my career that the data was simply a mechanism to identify opportunities, but it was exactly to your point. The way that you frame it and communicate it to get people that normally don't care about this stuff That's right. to buy into the potential. Because now once they see it, we just made their life better. <laughs> and now they're like, what else do you got? Yeah, like now I'm listening. No, I, I totally agree. I actually just completed a workshop this week where someone asked me a question and my answer was, you're in a sales process. You may not realize it, but you're all salespeople. You have to convince and persuade your stakeholders who are busy, overwhelmed, overstretched, and consumed with thinking about the things that matter to them most. And here you are asking them to part with their money, to reorganize their resources, to reorganize priorities. People don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So, can you make a compelling enough argument for them to be a yes. How do you get them to the yes? And that's only going to be talking in the things, the language, the vocab that matters. And that generally tends to be 
money of some kind, market share, brand favorability, the things that they are measured by for their own success, right? 100%. And you know, like to elaborate on your point, because I think it's an outstanding one, one that merits further discussion. If you think about it, attention is one of the hardest things to get into today. (laughs) Attention is very difficult to get and is exponentially harder to keep. That's right. That's true in social media and it is the exact same in business. Mm -hmm. This is why if you want to have any impact, you've got to know how to get their attention. That's right. you, You talk about this all the time is that if you don't have that hook, if you don't have that mechanism to trace it to what matters to them, all these things that matter on the attention front, you're never going to get them to, to walk through. And that's not, that's not being a negative. You know, I'm a positive person. I, I, I strive on positivity. I can see. But I'm also realistic in saying this is a very real challenge to all data professionals. And the challenge is that many of us are trained to crank out a dashboard or deliver an insight. And that's where I see a lot of the value in what you offer is because you're teaching people. Mm. It's, it's about more than that. I appreciate that. Here's the mechanism to actually do that, to have the change that you want to see. I mean, I don't know. What's your take on it? How do you see it on the the attention front? <laughs> well, I love this question because it's like my whole job is literally around attention. Because to your point, you know, there's arguments made that Technology and social media aren't actually creating an attention problem. They're just creating a new avenue for an existing, a pre-existing attention problem. However, they are really, really suited to push all of our attention buttons and get us hooked and and algorithms. And Mm -hmm. I do think there is an increasing busyness of business that we are fighting against. So as a data communicator, knowing what makes neuroscience and the science of attention tick is a major ace in your pocket. And this is what I structure everything around. The entire first half of my workshop is geared towards strategies just for maintaining attention during the audience. And the second piece is creating memory and recall so that people remember to take action after the meeting is over because it's really a two-part process. But like to your point, I one of the things that came up for me just now is a story I've never told. And this is all about storytelling. So I'd love to Ooh, love it. tell it right now. Let's do it. Do it. Okay. Once upon a time in a land far, far away, I was starting as an analyst at a digital agency and I was sort of taking over someone's role. And one of the challenges that the client kept complaining about and the account team kept complaining about is that no matter how closely the team budgeted the spend, this was for paid search, no matter how closely they monitored and fine-tuned the spend, we had a very fine-tuned budget adjustment process and projection process every week. No matter what happened, we were always came that tens of thousands of dollars short on spending the budget. So they started reducing the budget that they were giving to the agency because they were like, well, you can't seem to spend it. So we're not, we're going to put it somewhere else. So one day, (laughs) clouds, one day I was poking through this thing as, and as I kind of got really acclimated to the calculations that were in this very, you know, complex document, suddenly like one of the numbers didn't make sense when I made a change. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not what should have happened. And I went in And I noticed that someone, I don't know who created the document, but someone had gotten the calculation backwards. Mm. So no matter what was ever going to happen from spend, it was always going to... (laughs) Always going to miss the mark, no matter what. And I was like, hallelujah. (laughs) And this was very exciting. So even though this wasn't necessarily like a customer generated or site side issue, it still had a big story behind it that I couldn't wait to present. And I really made it like, here we have, here has been our spend, but every month we have this problem. Well, here we found this issue and we've corrected it. And the next month we were able to spend, we asked like, can you keep the budget in place for one more month? And boom, we spent it. And from there, but I contextualized it in what mattered to the client, not like my frustration of, well, I'm doing the best I can, but it was, 
we're going to spend your money now, finally. This is what you wanted. And I just haven't thought of that story. So go me. That's a great, that's a great <laughs> story, though. You know, it's like, and I think th- things like that happen a lot to your point is to, to bring it back full circle is the idea of what, what matters. And, and yeah. the funny thing is, is that I've realized is that a lot of this stuff is, co- I would call it common sense. It's not revolutionary, yeah. but it is there. The simplicity almost fools people into thinking it can't be that easy, but it's <laughs> not that easy. The analogy I use all the time because everybody can relate to it. It's trying to get in shape with diet and exercise. Love analogies. At its core, it's really not that difficult. <laughs> it's like, duh. <laughs> you take care of your body. <laughs> I know me is that it's hard to execute on a consistent basis because things happen. You lose motivation, whatever it is. My point is that. So many times I think people overlook these things, the simplicity, because it's not complicated. You think about the nature of the people that are doing what we do. They're smart people. Oh, yeah. The best. They're very smart people, sometimes too smart for their own good. Because they're like, it can't be (laughs) that easy. And the thing that I've realized is that success, like business-facing success in this realm, is not about smarts, historical academic smarts. It's about people smarts storytelling, emotion, Mm -hmm. right? Those are the two levers that I pull on the hardest when I'm like, tell me about you. What what do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? Mm. What are the challenges you have in getting from here to there? All that front work to understand, great. Now I have context Mm -hmm. for how we can help you. And not only that, when we deliver something, you already know how it's going to help you. So we can communicate it in that way. Say like, hey, I heard you say that you had A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. A, we can't help it, but B and C we can't. Here's how. Now, we can help you in this regard. Would you be willing to get on board? Could we work together on this? Most of the time people are going to say yeah, because we want to help. And let's be honest. We're in a customer serving position. That's right. From the, we, we are here to serve. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. When people take on a true service mindset, everything changes because then the happiness of our constituents, of our stakeholders, become our own happiness. And that is a very good cycle. Now, that's not to say it's at the cost of our own, you know, like we should indulge behaviors or patterns that cost us emotionally as well. There is a proper give and take. But I do believe that when you start thinking in terms of the vocabulary that stakeholders speak in, when you start seeing them as human beings who are measured by certain metrics, who have challenges, who have things keeping them up at night, and you start to understand what those things are, and you use your data as a language to translate, like, are you the Rosetta Stone between your numbers and your spreadsheets and the needs that your stakeholders have to help serve your customers in a bigger way? And it's it's a process. It's People are always like, oh, it, it is human nature and it seems obvious, but parenting is also human nature. <laughs> That's an excellent. It's natural. And do any of us feel ready for <laughs> what parenting actually brings us? I say this as today is my son's 10th birthday, and I'm in deep reflection over like, God, the manual user manual I would write on this process. <laughs> it is not <laughs> instinctual <laughs> at all. It requires knowledge and wisdom that is passed through generations. And this is a new new arena of knowledge and wisdom that is best served when we are choosing to learn from each other. And that actually brings me to the question I'm dying to ask you about. I saw that you're launching a new online course called Business Literacy yeah. for Data Professionals. And I'm like, okay, where to <laughs> add to cart? <laughs> I would love to hear more about this. Please tell us more. Yeah. This is a course that Honestly, people have been asking me to make for a long time. Like, you got to put out a course. I've always been like, that's not what I do. And so the other day I was working out and I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, let's just give it a shot. So I, I thought if I had one hour to tell an upcoming, or not even an upcoming, but a mid or even senior level data professional, how do you get the business to you? How do you get aligned with the business? Mm. What would I say? Mm-hmm. And so that was the thesis statement. So, as you know, I'm great friends with my buddy, Jordan Morrow. And Jordan Jordan has his new book out. And, you know, uh, yeah, be data, yeah mm-hmm. be data driven. I got to give him that plug. He's my guy. Great book. But, you know, he's data literacy for business professionals. But what I'm saying is mm-hmm. 
nobody anywhere. We're <laughs> talking about business literacy right. for data professionals. And so You're right. the thesis statement on this is that, again, I am not the first. Lots of very smart people have talked about this, but you got the gap, data and tech and, and business. And data literacy is doing its part to try to bring people towards the center so we can start speaking a common language. Yes. But there's nothing out there on the business side or on teaching business literacy to data. And it is a major, this is a major, right. major problem. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what? Nobody's solving it. I have the expertise to solve it. I've lived it. I got battle scars all over me on this stuff. That's not to say I know everything. I don't, but let's give this a shot. Let's see what we can do. Mm-hmm. And so as I started putting this together, it's really focused on the, what I see as the primary driver of the disconnect between data, uh, the, the data world and the business world. And that's business literacy from the data realm because of many of the topics that you and I have already discussed here. Right. You could have the best flux capacitor in the world. <laughs> Great reference. Yeah. But if people don't want time travel. That's right. <laughs> they, they, they're not going to care. And so what it is, is it's at its core, what, what we're looking to do here is to highlight the legacy push model, because that's what most analytics programs are. It's like, okay, we have a vague understanding. We're going to push a solution out to the business. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. I'm sorry. It does not work. But what I'm going to propose in this course is saying, let's create a pull model. Here's how you create a pull model in, a, in, in the everyday situation. So we go through kind of the academic of what is business literacy, all these other things. But then I give you like the actual playbook that I have used, some of it, which we've discussed here already to walk people through, here's how you actually do it. And the reason why this is really important, I I feel it's very important. If somebody wants to become data literate, Mm -hmm. let's take you want to learn Python. You can go into a room, you can hammer on the keyboard for days on end, weeks on end, months on end, if you wanted to. You can put in a program, run it, and you get instantaneous feedback. Mm-hmm. You, you're getting outputs immediately. You can grow and iterate that experience quickly, mm-hmm. right? So you can become quite proficient in a programming language in a couple months, especially today with Stack Overflow and all these other things. Right, right. The exact opposite is true on business. You don't <laughs> have the opportunity to go and practice every single day. Your, your, your opportunities to practice are very spaced out. That's even if you get the opportunity. And then, as you know, these types of, these are social skills, communication skills. They take a long, long time to develop. And not only that, the context that comes with it takes a very long time to develop. Now, it's not to say everybody has to be perfect in this realm. It's, It's a very difficult proposition to ask a data professional to also be an expert in these realms. That's not. But I do think it is extremely reasonable and beneficial for everybody to have a baseline level of understanding, a baseline storytelling ability, a baseline understanding of the business. And so I'm monologuing here. I'll stop. <laughs> but that's the thesis. No, I, I love it. You make a really good point. I've never really noticed. And maybe that's why I came in to try to fill this gap as well, because when I came in, I just wasn't seeing people really take the reins of telling effective data stories and like one of the things I do is I compare Hollywood. My latest keynote compares the elements that make Hollywood engaging and enthralling and transformative. But imagining if Hollywood did the things that we do during our business data presentations, <laughs> like executive summaries and agendas and bullet points and you know all these things that you would never see. So it really is key about filling in that gap. And you point me towards a question that I've often gotten in my workshops where people have said, why do I have to learn the business? If they don't have to learn analysis, why do I have to learn? (laughs) So what would you say to someone asking that? You're playing in their world. Businesses existed without data a long time ago. (laughs) It's that simple. You, You are in their world. They operate totally fine without you most of the time because they're going off gut feel. Right. right. Let, let's let's call. I, I'm not again. I love that analogy. That is the reality of many yeah. industries in many situations. So it's actually the onus is on you, data professional, <laughs> to create a compelling reason. Because guess what? They're making sales. They're doing all this stuff without you. Yeah. 
So my what I tell people is I'm like, lose the ego. Okay? <laughs> because there's yeah. a lot of ego in this space. Yes. And, I'm, and I say this in a realm of positively challenging people to look in the mirror <laughs> and be like, hey, your point, you know, kind of to your point, I think it is a legitimate point, but it's a cop out. Yeah. It's putting the onus, the responsibility on somebody else. So what I like to challenge people, people I work with, say, hey, you want to be a leader? You, you want to drive stuff? <laughs> You have to do things that most people aren't willing to do right. because it's hard. Yeah. And what I love about what you're saying, because I'm a total fan of friendly, tough love, is that the data you're analyzing is being created by that business and the people engaging by that business. And analytics is a vital role. But to your point, where are the numbers coming from? Right. So when I do hear that question, I, I can resonate with it too. I feel it in me. But I also think, well, are we keeping score or are we partnering? What I've said back is like, well, how far do you want to go in this journey? Because you can choose wherever you want to land. You can absolutely crunch numbers and 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 stay there. And that's perf- that's fine, perfect. But there are people who are want to travel the path to from data explorer to explainer to strategic partner to thought leader. Mm-hmm. And that chasm is, for me, storytelling and explanation and business expertise. If I can elaborate on that for Please. one second. I got to tell a story. It's kind of in that realm. Oh, story time. Story time. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll keep it brief. <laughs> is there, was this, there was this brilliant applied mathematician I had hired. This kid was sharp. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you this pricing project. Pricing is a great project because everybody can relate to pricing. I said, I want you to go and look at this segment. I know there's an opportunity here. Go look at this and then bring back to me what you find. Mm-hmm. So he prepares it, brings it back to me. I said, okay, now, one of the things we talked about in your development was wanting to get in front of executive teams more to develop that presence, mm-hmm. right? To, to get comfortable with it. Now, pretend that I am the CEO of this company that you're talking to. What are you going to tell me? Well, the well, we found in the analysis that the R is squared, and I'm like, <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop. Wrong. <laughs> I get where you're going. You're, you're, you, you are technically correct. Right. <laughs> Who am I again? I am the CEO. What does a CEO care about? Okay, so we try it again. Well, you know, and he got a little bit better. And so, anyway, finally, we get to. I, I'm like, okay, you know what? You have two sentences hook me on why I should care about what you're saying. <laughs> if you do not get it right here, I will not put you in front of, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to do that to you. You're not ready then. That's fine. So I go, let's reconvene in two days. If you want to talk about it, whatever, but I want you to come up with it on your own. I could, I could tell you what to say, but I want you to come up with it on your own because it's building that mental muscle of yeah. how, because what you've got to do is You've got to move from your perspective of the world That's right. to the CEO's perspective. And that, and that is a very difficult muscle, mental muscle to build if you don't go through that exercise yourself. Somebody like you, you, you can do it easily. It's what you've done. If you've done it, it's quite easy. Right. But for somebody that's building to your point, that, that chasm of where they want to go, you got to do that. And so anyway, he finally comes back and he's like, he nailed it and he got it. Oh, and, and, amazing. And that ability to go. And, and this is when, when we talk about kind of the process of getting back to the course for a second. That's the whole, what's the fundamental idea is put yourself in your customer's shoes. What do they think about? What do they care about? But not only that, talk to them and figure it out. And I think for a lot of data storytellers or those that are responsible for presenting, that is the single greatest thing that you can do to help ensure that you're going to connect with them on a practical, but also an emotional level. I couldn't agree more. My favorite quote from one of my idols, Simon Sinek, is make it about them, not about you. And I feel like if we apply that general sense that other people's needs are our needs, we really take that in. We start to come from that place where we're not only speculating from the outside what we think they need, but we're actually empathizing. We are empathizing and imagining like, oh, I can imagine that this is really hard for them. And this is how my data could help solve for that obstacle or take advantage of that opportunity, right? I'm going to throw out something crazy here. It's totally going to throw throw off the flow here. Not really. Crazier the better. Did you notice how nothing we've talked about has really been technical? (laughs) 
I have noticed. It's all, it's all people. It's all people. <laughs> and this is one of the most fascinating things about as I have evolved in my career. I realized more and more it is not about technology. No. Technology is easy relative to this stuff. And that's not to undermine the effort for engineering, architecture, all that other stuff. That is difficult. But in terms of getting people to use these things, it's all these things which are they're very difficult to develop. But they are like the key to success. I just found it fascinating that this far in, and, and we, we really haven't mentioned too much technical. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's kind of the way on this particular show, because there are a lot of shows out there that dive deep into the technical nitty gritty. And I love I know that's like the fun part, like that's the fun sandbox. But to your point, technology is young in the timeline of humanity. Technology, it's young and it's ever evolving. It will always change. But humans are still wired the same way we have been wired for hundreds of thousands, if not more, years, which is why this show really often does focus on the more human element of the practitioner, the stakeholder, the customer, because without those skills, I think we're just reinforcing what we're saying That's the key that is going, I think that's the key to a longevity in this kind of career. I would agree. Yes. Is that if you have any aspirations for a leadership where it's outside of engineering, where you can kind of be behind the door, anything that's business facing, I firmly believe these are skills you must have. You wonder why chief data officers, many of them struggle. Many of them are remarkably intelligent. Oh, I can imagine. Remar- remarkably intelligent, but they lack a lot of this perspective. Yeah. And as a result, they really struggle to apply that intelligence in a manner that, that really, you know, it, it's kind of like just left in this cage. And, and this is what I'm saying is that you can be super smart, but if you want your stuff to get used, that's one of the biggest frustrations I hear from brilliant engineers brilliant architects is we create all this great stuff and then nobody uses it. I've been there. It's very frustrating. So what I'm saying is this is one of the best things that you can do to get people to use your solutions. And I do fully acknowledge it is complex. There's usually multiple people that need to be involved. But my point is, as with before, don't punt the responsibility. There are things that you can do on an individual level to drive that change with the people that you interact with, right? Culture is a function of a whole bunch of people doing things in in a common way. And like what I tell people is lead the change that you want to see. You want to see the business use things more? Yeah. Do your part to lead that change. And I understand this is like the data and analytics equivalent of like Tony Robbins, rah, rah, rah stuff. (laughs) Well, there's a reason why he's like Tony Robbins. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) He's speaking and we're going to get even kind of like a little more big picture here. We're talking about different forms of intelligence in a way. And I don't mean to use the word intelligence as like intellect or smartness. I think those are like inherently awareness. So I, I think that like when people describe intelligence, I think there are multiple facets to it that are self-awareness, the effort towards improvement, and ultimately what I call emotional agility, the ability to actually navigate challenging Mm. situations and field difficult questions and get to the heart of conflict with stakeholders and really understand what they need. So one of my favorite speakers on channels on YouTube is called The School of Life. It's run by this guy, Alanda Baton, and incredible information about interacting with humans. And what he talks about is that humans as a race are immensely technologically proficient, like the leaps and bounds we have made in our intellect, like technical intellect. It's incomprehensible. And yet our human emotional intelligence is back in the cave days. <laughs> it hasn't really matured <laughs> yes. uh. on the whole. So that's why when I look at courses like yours, what I start to see is a better rounding out of, yes, we love the Python and we love learning Tableau and Power BI. And we love that technical intellect. That's the fun place. But I do think the real juice when it comes to progressing in a business path comes from more of that emotional cultivation, that emotional IQ cultivation. 
So I'd, I'd love to ask you, what's like the first step that a practitioner can take to begin to get business literate? Yeah. So I say that the first thing, and this sounds ridiculous, but it's just awareness that you need to develop it. Mm. Most young data analytics professionals I talk, they laugh at the concept. They go, okay, you're, you're not ready for it yet. That's fine. Right. There's, there's <laughs> nothing wrong. With it. it takes a certain level of maturity. And again, this is, this is, this is more of the emotional and awareness. I mean, I look back to when I was younger, you know, I thought I, I thought I knew everything at 25. But we did, we did though, but we did know. Everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Totally <laughs> Absolutely. But so, you know, you, somebody learns a new language and they're unstoppable. Right. I know everything. I'm, I'm going to rule the world with this. It, it happens all the time. And you know, the funny thing is, I've done it. Everybody I know has done it. It's part of the growth. I still do it. <laughs> yeah. So, so what I would say is one, the awareness and the willingness to acknowledge that this is a developmental opportunity in your skill sets or more specifically your perspectives. Mm. The second thing I would say is the acknowledgement of the work, like kind of that framework, right? That's, that's the idea with the courses to say, what, what does business literacy actually entail? Because people have different perspectives on it. That's why we're focused on for data professionals. What because you you go to you go big picture, it's all this finance and blah. No, for data professional, we don't we don't have to get too deep in that stuff because it's about understanding at its core, understanding your customer, their needs, what are their common pain points. So I'd say the first step in this is is those two things. And then I would say is it's the willingness to step out from your comfort zone of living behind the keyboard. That's right. Because that is the biggest hurdle I have seen. Even if you get through those first two steps, now you got to get out in the business. That's right. You got you got to you got to do these things that are highly uncomfortable. But as I tell people, is that well, what's more uncomfortable? You choose the discomfort because you know it's going to make you grow, or they have the discomfort pushed upon you because nobody's using your solutions. Now, here's the point. You're going to have discomfort one way or another. Right, right. But do you have it put upon you or do you go and seek it out? And I know for me, every time I'm going to go seek it out. That's right. Because what happens eventually is as you like, let's here's, this is the career advice I give people is you start out and you got like this little circle of skill set. Now you want to maybe grow over here. Well, leverage this skill set, be able to do 70% of the job right and then learn that next 30. And then the circle gets bigger, mm-hmm. bigger. And then before you know it, you've got this very vast portfolio of expertise across a bunch of different areas. Each time, you weren't jumping into something that was totally new. You were leveraging your existing skills mm. to upskill in a different way. So my point here is the exact same methodology. Don't abandon your your data. Your data skills are immensely valuable. Yes. <laughs> what we're saying is just in your head, maybe reprogram a little bit and to consider this is a really easy way. Not easy. It's a very easy way to set yourself apart from in the sea of sameness. Oh, that's right. You do Python? Great. So do 100 trillion other people. <laughs> right. Unless in the top 1%, you're not going to stand out. And these are just numbers. So what this is what I tell people is that the reason why this is worthwhile is because with just a little bit of business literacy combined with your technical skills, mm-hmm. you you will stand out because the business is like, all right, I need somebody that can do A, B, and C. Oh, and that understands our business. Well, A, B, and C, you got a thousand people you're competing competing with. Add in the thing that you're good at. Now maybe you have one or two. You just vastly increase your career options, the earning potential, all of these <laughs> That's other right. things. So I would say the actual process starts up here. Yeah. The approach, the awareness, I've got to get better in this realm. Those things, because if you don't get those, you're not going to stick with the work when it gets hard. You're making such a great point. I mean, I'm, I would say I'm an immensely growth-oriented person. I don't like certain kinds of discomfort as much as the next person. But what life is teaching me is like, life in general is generally hard. We have it way easier than like any other time in human history, but it's generally hard and unexpected. And we're sort of losing this conditioning to help us. I forget what they call it, but like conditioning our nervous system train entrainment to handle adversity. So we kind of sit in our comfort zone and then life hands us a real whopper and we're like, ah, and we all come apart. But 
when we adopt a growth-oriented mindset, knowing that growing pains hurt, it's uncomfortable because habits, our habituation are what keep us comfortable and in our little cozy nest, but it's the edges of that nest that are going to be uncomfortable. But if we do it in the right way and consistently, and to your point that we choose our discomfort, I, I had a coach who always told me, go into intentional discomfort so you don't forever live in unconscious yep. discomfort. That discomfort happens to you, make it happen for you in a way. Well, to your point, so when I was in college, I was a Div- Division One track and field athlete at the University of Oregon. Cool. And I ran the sprints. And what my coach would say to me all the time, he's like, all right, Jason, it's going to be a hard workout. You got a decision to make. Do you want it to hurt now? <laughs> or do you want it to hurt when you finish second or you finish third and you knew you left something in the tank in this workout? Mm-hmm. Choice is yours. <laughs> what one do you want? And I always chose the discomfort now because you want to go into a situation, a, a presentation, a pitch. An analysis, whatever it is, knowing that you are as prepared as you possibly could have been and that you made the choice. You chose, I'm going to do the hard work now so I can get that job down in the future. I don't know what exactly what's going to unfold, but I want to walk into that situation down my career path. I am strategically managing it in a way that is going to put me in a position to do the things that I want to do because a lot of people just drift through their careers. That's right. And if that if that's what you want to do, that's that's your prerogative. Nobody's going to fault you for that. Right. I for one would never do that. Yeah. But this is again, this is an individual decision. You you want to you want to drift? That's cool. You do your thing. A lot of people don't though. And then the question becomes, you know, it's kind of like that cartoon where it's like, who wants to win? Who wants to do the things that are needed to win? And it's like everybody's in the the win line. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, to bring it back full circle on all this is that the idea is that for many data professionals, this represents a a very significant mindset shift. Yeah, for sure. And this is where you've got to be, you've got to be committed to the change. And if you do it, I guarantee you this, people that have both of these skills, the technical with the business, they're literally unstoppable. You, 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 can, you can do whatever you want in your career. And I say that with great confidence. Mm-hmm. You, you will stand out in such a positive way. It's unfathomable. I've got a couple people that were on my team early on, and I just hammered this mentality into them. <laughs> they come back to me now like, Jason, you, you were spot on. Like, these, are, these are people that three years ago were analysts. Now they're at INVP level roles. Right. Isn't that they're amazing? moving up because pe- management sees it. They're like, this is, this is, this is a person that they get it. They can do it. Yep. No, you're right. Put as much discomfort you, as you can on your terms and embrace it as like a path, a facet of your life. And you're right, Jason. Once you embark on that path, there is no limit to what you can overcome if you if you are dedicated enough to it. But it really does take that moment, aha moment, like where, what do I want out of this one shot that I have on this blue marble? Like, when I had the choice of staying at my very cushy job or taking the entrepreneurial leap, I came across this article that described the velvet coffin, which was the velvet coffin, meaning like a very plush, cozy, comfortable place where you die a little bit every day instead of living a bit every day. And that career can be the promise of a retirement pension and an increase in salary every year, but there's this pervading sense that you're not growing, that you're just dying. Because <laughs> we're all dying. We're all dying every single all day. Right? Every, yep. The day we're born, we're dying. So I appreciate that sort of mindset shift that you've enabled. And I'd love to hear about how that filters down into some of the, the business literacy aspects. And and one of the ones I'm curious about, I'm always harping <laughs> with my students that stories are great. What they're designed to do is lead to making recommendations. So it's like the setup and the recommendations like the slam dunk. So you set that up, but then do you help teach people how to get people to take action on recommendations? Yes. In my mind, that's the most important part. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> like, again, I have a, I have a much more direct communication style, but people that know me know you're capable of doing this. I'm trying to help you get out of your own way. So let's um, let's take the pricing example. Okay. You go through, you do your pricing analysis and everything. Now, 
what you do is, what I like to do is to contextualize it. The reason why we're talking about this is because we know in our strategic plan, we have a $10 million go get on revenue. Mm -hmm. We have a $5 million go get on EBITDA. The purpose of this particular analysis and recommendation is to highlight ways that we can help close the gap on both of them. So we started with the end in mind. Problem, we think this is a solution. So we get everybody in line there. Great, we got attention. Attention. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> number one. And then what we do is we say, okay, we are recommending, and it's very, it's very specific, and this is very difficult to do if you don't have the business literacy, right? You can do it, but it's harder. Is that you say, we recommend that for X products at Y customers, we do a price increase of Z. Mm-hmm. Now, I, again, I'm vastly oversimplifying. Sure. Now, what we're saying is that if we do this, we believe that one, we can do it because it's strategic price increases, rifle shot price increases. So we minimize churn risk, primary concern of any sales force. Two, this will help drive sales and incentive plans and overperformance because you're not going to have to go out and get new business. You're optimizing your current portfolio of business. Mm-hmm. So we're, again, we're getting sales and management. Mm-hmm. This addresses a major problem because in price increases, the first place you're going to get pushback. Well, if I give that price increase, I'm going to lose that account. And then my incentive plan is blown up. We're going to, we're going to get there before you do. We're going to acknowledge that up front. And then what you do is then now, again, there's more things that you can do in this example, but then it's, it's acknowledging those risks and then saying, if we were to do this, here's the time frame it would take to do it. Here's the resources we would need to do it. Now, these are our recommendations, but we have a limited view of the world. What does the rest of the team think? Like what I love is, poke holes in this argument. Why won't it work? Ah. Giving people permission right. to disagree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a very, very, very big deal because now you've given people the medium to voice displeasure without buckling you know, social norms. That's right. Things like that. You've, you've created the channel, the communication channel. And then what happens is it usually facilitates, in my experience, a healthy discussion. Mm-hmm. of debate but then what we do is then at the end we debate and then what I was what I would do and this won't work for everybody this is my personality because I you know I have a, a I like to lead and say okay it sounds like we've got agreement what are the tangible next steps that we are going to do because we've done our part this is the handoff now to the business saying all right guys we we need somebody to actually take action on this right who's going to do it now what I like to do always beforehand is to understand way beforehand, who's actually going to do it and then pre-align with them. Mm-hmm. So when we go into the call, everybody already knows, right? <laughs> or the key people need to know. So it's the pre-social meeting before the meeting because you don't want to throw curveballs at anybody in the meeting. But what I found is this process in general tends to work very well because you've gotten everybody on the same page. If anybody has any grievances, they've, they've, you've created the opening for them to voice it. They feel heard. Even if people might not agree with it, just the fact that you're giving them a medium to be heard is often a very big deal. And then if there's any disagreement in the future, you can come back and say, listen, I, I completely understand your point. However, we did give you the opportunity to vocalize. How come you didn't vocalize it then? Right. Not in an accusatory tone, mm-hmm. but to be like, tell me about it. Like, wh- wh- what happened? So we can learn from it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was all over the place there, but... but- <laughs> That's what I've found is that it's a complicated process and, you know, I like to make it much more crisp, but that example hopefully brings some clarity on like the the technique and strategy that I use and coach my team on to get alignment, to get buy-in and then to get people to take action. Because that last piece, what I would actually do in the past is I would actually, as part of a project charter, Mm -hmm. have like an informal contract. Mm. Okay. If we do this, you are committing to do the things that you need to do. Right, get a contract. Handshake agreement, whatever it is. So that when I when we when my team finishes this cuz we're contributing finite resources. Of course. To support your initiative. And I I'm in. What I need from you then is I need the assurance that you are going to do what you need. I we'll, we'll do everything that we can. But if we do this and you don't deliver, we're going to have a different conversation. And this is just this is a conversation that is born from trust. Mutual trust, respectful disagreement. It's a very big thing. Respectful being because like my point is I want to see you win because guess what? If you win, we all win. We all win. Yep. That's the best mindset to have. Even even when we disagree, it's when we 
sort of have a every person for themselves mentality, that's when the whole system starts to fall apart. And I love what you describe like a contract for recommendations. Sometimes I often relate doing business and our relationships in corporate as dysfunctional marriages. I think all of the same dynamics <laughs> follow us in there, except they're amplified because our livelihood depends on it and we spend more time with our colleagues than we do often with our families. So I have really tried to move out of the realm of psychic contracts. I came across this term where it's this sort of unspoken expectation that we've created for each other, like, oh, we'll do everything we can. Okay. What in the world does that actually mean though? What does that mean? Because I think you can do a lot. I think you're have unlimited power, but that's obviously not the case. And I don't want you to believe that I'm going to be able to do something that I didn't sign up to do. And we go back and forth and we have each other write these checks that we each can't cash. And that's why I love the contract aspect. And something else I love that you said, and once again, it's amazing. We haven't gotten technical at all. (laughs) But something else I love you talked about is about how could this not work, which is like, poking a a huge hole in your own stuff. And and that's one of the biggest gripes that my audience has is, what about objections? They ask these challenging questions, they're poking holes, don't agree, they don't trust me. And I have a whole take on objections, but I'd love to hear your take first. Well, to your point is having experienced it myself many, many, many times. I just said, again, this gets back to something I said before. Know where things are going to go off the rails and beat them to the pass. I know somebody <laughs> is going to disagree with this. Yeah. So rather than, again, sitting back and waiting, much like our discomfort conversation, right? you can, you can choose discomfort or it can choose you. One of the two is going <laughs> like to happen. That, yeah. <laughs> it is the exact same concept. Rather than waiting for people to be like, well, I disagree with it. Here's all the problems. By proactively seeking it, seeking the discomfort, you actually, in my belief, actually end up strengthening your argument because you're getting you're, you're getting feedback that you probably don't get directly. You're probably getting it behind the scenes or somewhere else where by creating that channel, you're getting direct feedback on the spot right there. And then what you've done is you've created a constructive mechanism to say, hey, you know what? You and I've used this, like you, you brought up a great point in that meeting. You said, like, we were missing this, this, and this. So what, what we've done is we've, we've brought these things together and I think we got it. I think we got it fixed now, but like, all right, take a look at it. And from your perspective, does this address kind of the things that you brought up? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Think about the trust that you earned because one, you heard me, two, you respected my opinion, three, you did something about it, mm-hmm. and four, it's something I can actually use. I mean, it is one of the quickest ways to build trust with a business stakeholder it's just by asking that simple question, like we were saying, where's the holes in this logic? I just think it's a healthy uh, exercise anyway. Yeah. One of the best ways to strengthen your argument is to actually argue the other side. Right. <laughs> exactly. Play the devil's advocate. Yes. It's a bulletproof way. Argue against what you believe. That's right. Because you're going to see all your holes then. If you really commit to it, you're going to see all the holes in your argument. You might find out like, yeah, I was wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, there is a hole. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. Big one. <laughs> yeah, to your point, when I go over objections in the storytelling process, I try to relay, like, you don't realize this when you sit in front of these humans. They're not robots. They are humans. They're bringing with them all these cognitive biases. They might believe something that is a preconceived, very entrenched notion or trope that circulates the organization or the culture. They may have beliefs based in their own experience, but aren't able to adjust and be flexible. They may not like you very much. There's an actual bias called dislike bias. (laughs) They just may not like you, so they're already predisposed to disagree. So one of my favorite ways of thinking of objections is how can I create a bridge? Because there's this chasm that is their bias, and maybe our own. And how can we say, so even the language like, now, I know, I am aware, we are aware that there is 
a belief or a commonly held belief here that XYZ is this or this happens here. And it's understandable. And we are here to also represent the what the data is telling us. And we're finding something that is throwing that into question. And we want to understand, like we, and it's acknowledging also it's uncomfortable to adopt a new belief. It's a, the most uncomfortable to challenge our belief systems. We want to think we're so data-driven, but we're we're not. We're emotionally driven, but we use data to substantiate you know, our beliefs and decisions. So how can you find that bridge? And I do think that is like a next level kind of partnership skill people can have. That is hard. And kind of on your, your point on biases, the, the other thing that I've seen too is that people are fear. I think it's completely irrational. However, I can certain, I can, un, I disagree with it, but I understand it. Right. People feel found out. Mm. Hey, on the price example, hey, you haven't been managing your pricing very well. That's not the intent at all. It is what it is. We want to make it better. Right. Well, so that somehow they're going to get called out or that their job is going to be made obsolete or... Mm, what does it mean about them? <laughs> yeah, that's it. And, and these things are irrational from the perspective of somebody who has been through this and knows, but from their lens of the world, again, the customer perspective, if you've never been through this, it's actually highly rational to be like, this is new. This is scary. I don't like it. I don't care if it will make my job a hundred times easier and better. I don't like it because it's different. That's right. <laughs> There's such a young language there too, right? It's so young, right? Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. But, but you know, I would see this all the time in like SAP installations when I would do this and what I would tell people you know, at the plant level being like, listen, the technology is not going to replace you. You bring an immense amount of expertise to the table. Mm -hmm. What it's going to do is to remove your expertise from being applied to repeatable and mundane tasks. Mm. So you can do things that are of much higher value. That's the difference. So we're going to simply repurpose where you're spending your time. I love that. And what I'll conclude this part with is how can you show them the upside of challenging their beliefs and biases. What's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow of that discomfort? And I think once you're able to do that, and really, it's not just about telling them, well, what you thought was wrong, but it's like, hey, good news. We were wrong about this. And there's this great stuff at the end of it. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it is, it's, it's hard for sure, though, because again, with all this, it's emotional and emotion can defy logical explanation. Two different wavelengths. Yep. All right. So we have arrived at a next segment called The Upgrade, which is a tool, a book, a resource, something cool that the listeners can check out. We love the tools here. Something cool that they can check out right away to help advance, you know, the the practices we're talking about, or if there was a resource that was really integral in your journey as a data practitioner. So, what do you got? Yeah, absolutely. The first thing that I would recommend that is very valuable about this whole concept of perspective. Mm -hmm. It sounds counterintuitive, but I would actually recommend my buddy Jordan Morrow's books. Great. Be data literate and be data driven. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because those books are written for business professionals looking to build data literacy. Right. One of the best ways to understand your audience is to get a sense of where they're at, right? Because you want to meet them where they're at. You want to help them along in their journey. And I think that reading those two books provides, Be Data Literate is great, I think, on the individual level. How does the individual business person assess and look at data? And then Be Data Driven is more, in my take, more organizationally focused. Mm -hmm. And so I find these very valuable because, you know, it's almost like the curse of knowledge. If you know something, it's very difficult to imagine somebody who doesn't have that expertise. And reading these books puts you squarely in the middle of their perspective. Right. Like, well, what do you mean they don't know the four types of analytics? There are four? <laughs> yeah. It's like, but those are the things where it's like perspective. It's about, it's about put, transporting yourself into your customer's mindset, world, fears, and by getting into that, now we're building, by, by, by reading these books, it'll help you build that mental muscle to now transport yourself mm. into your customer's perspective, which is linking this all together. It's building back to here. 
<laughs> we'll a couple inches here, building that perspective because that's the foundation of everything we talked about. I love it. And it sounds like if Jordan's listening, he needs to make a little appearance on the show because I love books and love authors. And that sounds like something that will really help continue to help practitioners really expand out the dimensions that they're operating in. So I love that. I can't wait to check it out. All right. This is our final wild card question. So think very hard here and imagine this a very plausible scenario. You're taking the platform at the World Weightlifting Championship when suddenly you trip and fall into a vortex that pulls you back to the moment you're about to deliver your first presentation. Do you remember what you were presenting about and what advice would you give to past Jason? I was very fortunate in that I was giving given some advice early on in college, which was take Toastmasters, do it. Yes. So I did it. And I've always been a very social, I'm an extrovert, if it hasn't been made readily apparent already. <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> I, I'm not joking when I say this. I would love nothing more than to talk to a stadium full of 60,000 people. Not because wow. <laughs> I love the bigger the crowd, the more energy. That's true. One of my buddies told me, he's like, you're like, you're like the Hulk for speaking. He's like, Hulk get angrier, Hulk get stronger. <laughs> Jason has a bigger crowd. Yeah, I love it more. <laughs> and so my, my, my advice would just be like, just understand that this is a journey and that you're, you're going to be uncomfortable in a lot of different ways, but just get clear on who, on who it is that you want to be. What do you want to stand for? Mm. What do you want your life to be? And I know that those are deeper questions, but as I've I talked to a lot of individuals that are, we'll say, further along in the journey of life, incredibly successful individuals. Mm -hmm. And what they keep coming back to, there's a consistent theme, which is just like, you know, as you get older, you start to get clarity on these things. You stop caring less about what people think. It's a very liberating experience to get clarity on who you are as an individual. And it's very powerful when you reach that point because you get a sense of comfort that you really can't get any other way. And it's this process of discovery. Yeah. It's like the journey that we're talking about. It's self-discovery. And these are things that 10 years ago I would have just laughed at you. Know, like, yeah, sure. I've just realized the immense wisdom in, in these words that these people taught me. So if I found in the vortex and I was getting on stage to talk about something like this, <laughs> that would be kind of what I would say is just like, you're going to figure it out. Just be receptive to the journey and understand that it is a journey. You're going to make wrong turns. You're going to mess up all that stuff, but just have that establish that North star. Where do you want to go? <laughs> Who do you want to be? You know, all those things in you know, I think that that's just really important. And that influences your personal life, professional life, everything. Like, let's tell a really, really quick story is I shared a post yesterday. It got great reception where I had a job offer in hand to be a chief blank at a $12 billion company. Job offer, job was mine. If I wanted it, I had it. <laughs> and I thought, I'm like, this is the North Star story. Do I want to go and keep playing this corporate game? Yeah, I can make a ton of money at it, do all that. When I get to my 60s, Am I going to look back and be, I did that for the money. I didn't, I didn't do that because I wanted it. And I was like, no, I don't want that. It actually, it gave me, I, I don't get anxiety ever. It gave me anxiety thinking about it because of the Wow. Regret. Interesting. And all those things where I was like, no, I, I don't want to live that life. I want to live the life the way that I want to live it. And this is the whole only point that is that's my decision, but I had clarity on the North Star because I wanted to be a family man that was present for my kids. I wanted to be a good husband. I want to be there at the games. I wanted all that stuff. And I was convinced that I could be successful without that stuff. Now, to say all that, that was my personal journey. You have to determine for the individual, whoever it is yourself, what do you want it to be? Because it's going to be different for each of us. But give it the thought. Don't just drift through life. Don't drift through your career. Get the clarity on what it is that you want. And it will help you make decisions along the way. Woo, Jason. This is why I love this conversation and I think why you're so inspiring because you are not just talking about the tactics and the tangible aspects of this job. You're really talking about like getting to the human side of things and asking, what do you want this? We have one shot at this. What do you want it to be? What do you want? You know, what do you want this to be? And it's all good. But to your point, like 
if you're loving what you're if you're really loving what you're doing or if you are choosing to do something for the money that's actually a perfectly acceptable thing like we're living in a a, a world where our survival depends on it however yep. don't just sit there forever don't forget that question if you're experiencing anxiety and who do you want to show up as and what are the skills that it will take to get there so wow i am blown away by that advice obviously like preaching to the choir so one last thing to on that realm too is that I don't want the, anybody that's listening to this that might be more technically minded <laughs> to think that I'm knocking. I I came up through the technical line, <laughs> data architect, data engineer. I came up through there, but then what I realized is by having that north star, you start looking at opportunities differently. That's my only point is just to challenge you to think differently yes. about your life, about your career. And again, if you choose that path, you want you want to keep. That's your choice. You you do you. But choose it. Choose. That's it. Choose it. <laughs> right. Don't let it choose you. I, I really loved how you said that. Whether it's discomfort or your life, choose it. Don't let things choose you. And I am really going to, maybe that's the tattoo that I've been <laughs> waiting for. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Well, Jason, obviously, like, love this conversation so much. Unfortunately, our time has run out. So please tell the listeners where they can keep up with you. Yeah. If you aren't already, um, follow me on LinkedIn. I yep. post every day. I've been posting <laughs> there for years. Just try to share much like this conversation, just uh, my views on things. I don't know everything. I've learned a lot. I've made a lot of mistakes and a lot of my stories try to focus on much like here, what I have learned, hopefully sharing it so other people can benefit from it, mm -hmm. positively challenging people to maximize their potential. So if you're not already following me there, again, with my course, Business Literacy for Data Professionals, check it out. I'm going to be releasing it next week. We got 20 minutes of free content. I think it'll be highly impactful for a lot of individuals. So I would love it if you guys would check it out. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jason. And I I'm thrilled we finally got this off the ground. I've always felt such a great resonance with you and your work and, and your mission. And I'm thrilled to kind of be in the space of just helping practitioners get the most out of this choice of life, right? And looking forward to our paths crossing again. Likewise. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak again. I admire your work greatly and keep dominating it. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Wow, wow, wow. It's not often when I meet someone who not only so deeply understands the craft of data so well and what it means at every level of the organization, but also embodies a deep growth and service mindset that can only create the deepest and widest ripple of positive change in the surrounding community. Lucky us. So to catch all of the resources, everything mentioned in this episode, please visit the show notes page at leahpika.com slash 081. And if you'd like to connect, don't be shy and reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter and be sure to send a connection invite with a note mentioning the show. I love to meet my listeners and I respond to every message. And I'll leave you with today's bit of presentation inspiration by Lao Tzu. And that is, knowing others is intelligence. Knowing yourself is true wisdom. Mastering others is strength. Mastering yourself is true power. My take, I truly believe that success in life is sourced by a continuous pursuit of self-mastery and growth, which can only come from stepping outside of our warm and cozy comfort zones and beholding the possibilities that wait for us beyond. That's it for today. Stay warm, stay well, and namaste. Namaste.